I personally remember asking a question in the car and my dad was driving, so my mother turned around and shared with me about knowing Jesus Christ. That was a few weeks later before I actually prayed and made a commitment to him, but of all of the things that a mother or a father can do is that while you're here on earth, make sure that your children know the heavenly things. Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. John chapter 3 is where we're headed. Uh, Because it's Mother's Day, there are a few things I I just feel like, some I'm I'm just compelled to say. Uh, First of all, understand the context of honoring father and mother is pretty important. And certainly, honor is a biblical idea. It's a godly idea. Uh, And there is something interesting that of all of the Ten Commandments, the only one that carries with it a promise is to honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the earth. And uh, so there are a couple of things. One, if you don't honor your father and mother, they may kill you uh, and you won't live long. Uh, But there seems to be a blessing that when in a family, parents are honored and taught to be respected by their children, God blesses that. But the other interesting thing is that that honor thing is that you and I are to honor our fathers and mothers in particular today as long as, that we would have long life. So I, I'm not sure I understand it, but I think is we honor them all of their lives and all of our lives. So even if they've gone to be with the Lord, there's still a sense about honoring them. I think that's appropriate. And I, I'm not sure I understand all of that text. Uh, secondly, I, I would re-echo a little bit about what Ryan said. As much as this is a day where we ought to honor and celebrate, it's a tough day for some folks. Tough day for some mothers, tough day for some children. There's a lot of different things and a lot of different reasons, uh, but it's still a good day to do honor. The other thing that just kind of a hard thing to say is that, I don't know, ironic is the right word, but today, uh, just two weeks ago, their news came out about abortion and the potential overturning of Roe versus Wade, which which basically says states are going to decide about abortion. And today, on Mother's Day, there are going to be people protesting all around the country uh, in front of churches saying that the very significant thing about mothers being sacrificial and giving themselves for their children uh, isn't really what ought to happen. It ought to be the other way. And uh, I'm not sure. I, I try to understand stuff. I do not understand how killing a child in a womb can be health care. I just don't understand that. And then to be honest, I'm I'm also somewhat mystified when individuals who on one set of things will say, trust the science, the science, the science, and then 
frowlessly, they appeal to things that are really not all that much science. It's more theory and opinion, uh, but it's what they've got, but it's not really proven scientific method science. And yet then, because it doesn't fit their narrative, completely ignore the science of DNA in a matter of just a few cells in a mother's womb and a heartbeat and brain activity and the feeling of pain and all of those things that clearly say that there is a child in a womb. I, I just don't understand that in this, it, this is Mother's Day and that all came out and I don't know where we're going but I, I think there's some things to understand and I wonder how God sees all of that. And then the final thing that I want to say is that uh, for many of us, uh, Mother's Day is a little different because our mothers are in the presence of God. My mother is in heaven today. And the passage we're going to look at, Jesus is going to make a reference to heavenly things. And so many of us have grandmothers and mothers and godly women who have influenced our lives or are in the presence of God. And that's something to think about today. But in this John chapter 3 passage, Jesus has talked about being born again and uh, talked about flesh and being born of the, the flesh, the water, and the spirit, and Nicodemus doesn't particularly understand it. And in fact, verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Now, there's a definite article there, which, are you the teacher? So evidently, Nicodemus was potentially one of the most respected men in all the land of Israel. He was one of the most respected men in the Sanhedrin. He was a man who was well-respected, and, and Jesus just sort of says, listen, you're a guy that everybody looks to. Kind of if you're a mother, everybody looks to you. If you're a father, there are people who look to you. But if you have influence, and he says, you got influence, and you don't understand these things. And then in verse 11, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, it's kind of fascinating to me that Jesus sort of just begins with the idea that I'm talking to you about earthly things, things and decisions you need to make in this world. But he says, what I really would like to talk to you about is heavenly things. And if you're not getting the earthly things, how in the world are you going to understand the heavenly things? And then Jesus makes this fascinating little observation. The only body who really can know about heaven is somebody who's been there. I mean, you really can't say you know anything about Louisiana unless you've been there. Well, maybe you can know a little bit about it, but being there is something significant. And Jesus says, Nobody really knows about heaven except for somebody who's been there. And Jesus says, I'm the one who's been there. Now, that got me thinking this week, what in the world does Jesus have to say about heaven? I mean, what do we know about heaven? He's talking about heavenly things, and, and there's a natural sense. And to be honest, most of what we know about heaven probably comes not directly from Jesus, but comes from the apostle John in a vision that he had. And in the book of Revelation, you remember, this is like 30 years after John writes this gospel. He's in exile on the island of Patmos, and he's in a cave. And actually, Karen, I've been in that cave. And, you know, there's a, a guy there reading, and they're reading the book of Revelation just continually in that cave right now. 
But he had a vision of heaven. And from Revelation, that's a lot of what our picture of what heaven looks like. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we know from John chapter four, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. There's the picture of the throne room and, and the 24 elders and the beasts and the praise of angels and the worship and the idea of the, of the Lamb of coming and opening scrolls. And we get that picture of the, the throne room of heaven. But then if you go on to chapter 21, that's where we hear that streets are made of gold. And there's gates that are made of pearls. And there's a crystal sea. And, and we have this picture that that's finally the place where there's no longer any sickness or death or tears. That they've all been wiped away. And that's where they get out a rod and they measure heaven. And it's 12,000, it's 1,500 miles long. And 1,500 miles wide. And it is four square. So it's 1,500 miles tall. And I don't even understand that. I have done some math on it. And I've heard some things about how many people you could put in some place that's 1,500 miles by 1,500. You could put a lot of folks there. And those folks are going to have an awful lot of room. It is phenomenal. I have no idea. But we get these images of what heaven is like. And a lot of it comes from the book of Revelation, and that's why lots of folks want to study that. It gives us an idea about what it may be like. But, but interestingly enough, Jesus also, that Jesus never really just explains heaven. He never, I mean, for having said, I'm the one who knows about heaven. I've been there. I've come from there. I can tell you about heaven. But he never actually just has a time where he talks about heaven directly except as he teaches and as he tells parables and as he talks about other kinds of things. For instance, uh, Jesus from his parable of Lazarus and the rich man suggests that there's a gulf fixed between heaven and hell. Also in that particular parable and several others, there seems to be an identity. You will be who you are in this world. You'll still be the same person. Your soul, your person, your name, your identity, that'll exist. Kind of interesting when they asked Jesus about the lady who'd married seven brothers and they'd all died and you wonder about her cooking and, and uh, they want to know whose wife will she be in the judgment and, and uh Jesus says marriage as we know it in this world doesn't really exist in the next world. That we'll still have our identity and we'll know people, but, but they are not given in marriage in heaven. So he, he gives us a, a little hint there. He, he tells us, uh, the King James Version says, in my father's house are many mansions. Now that's not literally the word. The word is dwelling place. But Jesus also said, by the way, I'm going to prepare a place. Jesus has been working on those houses for 2,000 years. I'm assuming they're going to be pretty nice. Whatever they're going to be, but there are dwelling places, so we're, we're going to live. Jesus uh, uh, talks a little bit about it being a place where there are rewards. And there is a, a throne, and many of his parables are about the idea of judgment and standing before the throne of God and, and there being a process of rewards. And, and he sadly says that not everybody is going to stay there, that everybody's going to be there for the day of judgment, but then some people are going to be sent away and separated from God. I think without any question, Jesus uh, talks about it being a place where there's joy. In fact, in one of those parables, he talks about entering the joy of your master. And Jesus is the one who says that the angels rejoice. And so it is a place where the angels are going to be, and you and I are going to join them in obviously praising God and worship. Uh, if you read what Jesus has to say, there's a lot of little hints about the nature of heaven. But here's what I want you to understand today. Jesus really didn't 
spend a lot of time describing what heaven was like. All of his time teaching was telling you how to get there. Because that was his ultimate mission. He didn't come to earth so you and I would know what heaven was like. He didn't come to earth to tell us what it was going to be like and what our lives are going to be like. What he said was, I've come to earth so that you will not miss this place. And by the way, people always want, how could a loving God send people to hell? Because you can't really have heaven and heavenly things if you don't have hell as spiritual things. And to be honest, I think hell is the terrible place it is so that you and I will clearly understand that's not a place you want to go. I mean, I think it's point to just say, you got two choices, and one of them is terrible, and one of them is fabulous, and the idea of if anybody's really stopping to think about real heavenly things, then you understand that's a place what you go, but Jesus came so that you and I could go to heaven. That was his reason, and all of his teaching is about how to get there. And when he talks to Nicodemus about what is ultimately important, and Nicodemus comes and asks this question, and Jesus kind of just immediately begins to tell him, hey, you got to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. And that includes the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God in this world and the kingdom of heaven. But he says, I want you to be able to get here. And so to do that, he tells and makes reference to this little obscure story in the book of Numbers. It's Numbers chapter 21. And in that point, the children of Israel have left the land of Egypt. They're basically headed toward the land of Canaan, the promised land, and there is a rebellion. They are grumbling against God. They're rebelling against God. They're saying God doesn't know what he's doing. And God sends them a message and sends them a lesson in the form of fiery serpents. Now you understand, I'm not really excited about snakes to begin with. Somehow on my Facebook feed, there's this guy that chases snakes and gets them out of people's houses. And I don't know why that, I don't know how I ever got on my feed, but I just go right past it. I don't like snakes. But you understand if you live in tents and you wear sandals, snakes are a bigger deal. And evidently as a part of the judgment of God, there was an infestation of fiery serpents. And we don't know whether the fiery suggests that they were red or that the fever that came when they bit you was fiery. But we know that the snakes came and they began to bite people. And the kind of assumption is that there's the justice of God, those individuals who rebelled the most, who were speaking out against God and against God's will, who were standing in opposition to God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And now we're just talking about literally months after the Exodus and after crossing the Red Sea and, and manna in the wilderness and, and they're rebelling against God. And we rather assume those that most rebelled were the ones who were bit. And we know that many of them died. And then they repented. At least they came to, to Moses and they said, we've, we've sinned against God and, and God provided an answer. And it's kind of a strange one and it's a difficult thing, but God told Moses, make a serpent out of brass that looks like the serpents that have been biting people. And then take that serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up and set it in the center of the camp. And then basically what they said was, if anyone has been bitten and they've got this fever and they're danger of dying, if they will come and look at the serpent that has been lifted up, the assumption is that they will be healed. And of course, along with the healing, they'll be forgiven. 
But understand, there's also clearly the assumption that there's an element of faith. There's an element of faith that gets them to leave their tent and come, and maybe they need help. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they, they need to be carried. But, but they come, and they look at this serpent, and with eyes of faith and with a spirit of repentance, they look, and they are healed and forgiven, and life goes on. Now, there's an interesting little part of that story, and, and a lot of it's not expressed, but, but the suggestion is that not everybody came to look. That there were some who were told, hey, Moses put a serpent in the wilderness in the middle of the camp. We go there. We can look. We can be healed. You, You don't have to die. You can live. And you can almost assume that there were some people who said, I don't trust Moses. I don't trust God. I'm not going to go. And they stayed in their tent and they died in their sin and in their rebellion. So why did Jesus tell this story? What What's the deal? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's just almost as obvious. And, and you understand, Jesus is talking about heavenly things, that, but he's talking about things that need to happen on earth for us to be able to go to heaven. And first of all, the, the phrase, lifted up. By the time of Jesus, that was almost a slang term for being crucified. Yeah, mess with those Romans, they'll lift you up. Well, they understood that to be lifted up meant to be crucified. Now, there's no way that Nicodemus could have understood that part of it. But it says also that Jesus knew from the very beginning why he had come into the world. He had come into the world because there was a danger. Because there was a fever running through the spirit of every man, woman, and child. The sinful nature that separates us from a holy God. The sinful nature that provides that you and I cannot be in the presence of a holy God because of that sinfulness. And that sin is a danger that runs in our bodies, our spirits, our very veins. And if there is not some answer to the sin that separates us and keeps us from seeing the kingdom of God, Jesus came for that very reason. And in this moment, he says, I am going to be lifted up. And when it happens, it's all going to be about there being forgiveness and there being healing. And the idea is that Jesus being lifted up, if you and I, with eyes of faith, with eyes that involve repentance, with eyes that acknowledge that we are desperate need of something that we cannot provide for ourselves, that if we with eyes of faith look upon Jesus Christ and believe that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross having been lifted up and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, there is both healing and forgiveness. And Jesus makes it clear. He says, I'm talking about heavenly things. That's the means by getting into the presence of God. And so today... This is not complicated. This is not rocket science. This is just simple. The plan of God, Jesus makes it in just two verses. He tells you what the plan of salvation is. He says, I'm going to die on the cross for sin. I'm going to be lifted up as a means of forgiveness and of healing and of help for those who are separated from God. And I am the one answer that if you look to me in eyes of faith, that you can be saved. And you can be forgiven and you can have the promise of eternal life. I will just tell you, sometimes I, I, uh, I always think about doing a, a funeral on Saturday. Um, and I always think about the first Sunday in the presence of God. 
the first Sunday in heaven. And I don't know that Sunday's really any different than Tuesday or Wednesday or any other day. The throne of God is there and, and those great pictures of praise and worship and those great pictures of, of the bridegroom and the bride being brought together, of the great feast that's the wedding banquet, of the great coming together. And yes, there is the, the sad and the tragic judgment that occurs. And, and the reality is that everyone, and, and the way I understand it, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've trusted him and you believed in him, my personal belief is that in the very next moment after you die, you are in the presence of God. And by the way, let me tell you, just as an extra piece because it's Mother's Day, I believe that every child that dies in the womb ends up in the presence of God, and I believe they're somehow adult. I, I don't know how that works, but God knows who their DNA was. He knew who they would have been, and I think God takes care of every one of those children, and I think there may be a special place in heaven, and I think they're going to be there. That's just my own person. That's not science, and I can't prove it, but that's just what I think. Because that seems the nature and the spirit of God. But this simple story, this simple plan that says, you've got a problem and the problem is sin. The problem is rebellion against God. The problem is that we are all sinners and that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That none of us on our own can make it into the heavenly things, into the presence of God and into his kingdom. And we need an answer. And Jesus basically says to Nicodemus and to every believer from that moment on, I'm the answer. And he says, I've been lifted up. And if there is repentance, and if there is faith, and if there is believing, and, and by the way, I, I, I also understand the passages about predestination and about choosing and God choosing people, and surely God knows, but this is a passage that kind of makes it pretty clear that those people have a choice. And they have to make a choice. They have to make a decision. That just as it was, they're laying in a tent and, and they hear the news that God through Moses has provided an answer for the, the curse and the plague of the, of the serpents. And they have to make a choice whether they're going to get up out of their tent and go and trust God and make the commitment and decision. I, I'm not sure how that mystery plays out, but I do know today that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about a decision. And he's saying to Nicodemus, as you are, you're not okay. As good a man, maybe one of the most respected, maybe the most respected teacher and leader in all of Israel. And Jesus said to him, you are not okay as you are. And you will never get to understand and see the kingdom of God and never know the heavenly things that I've seen, the heavenly things that I know. You're never going to get to be where I was and where I'm going to be, and you will never be able to be with me if you don't understand that Jesus Christ says, I am the answer for sin. And today... I trust that you've solved that. And I know it's Mother's Day and there's things going on and hopefully people have said nice things to mothers and said happy Mother's Day. And hopefully guys, by the way, are washing the dishes today or better yet, taking them out to eat or letting them decide. There, there's all kinds of things you can do. Kids ought to step up and do something special and that's as it ought to be. But you understand when Jesus is talking about the most important things and we tried to say that last Sunday. Of all of Scripture, of all the things we know, of all of the, the issues in life, there is nothing more important than what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and to us about. 
And so today, if you've got a mother that's in heaven, I hope you picture her there in the presence of God as the musicians are coming. I hope you understand and see that maybe other loved ones have gone to be in the presence of God. And yes, I believe you will see them. I, I believe we will be able to reunite with them. And I, I believe it won't be the first thing you do. Because if you read Revelation 4 and 5, if you read some of what's going to happen in the throne room of heaven, I kind of get the feeling we're going to spend the first few hundred thousand years just saying, wow, I didn't really understand. I really didn't know. And if you take everything and pull it all together that we know of heavenly things, what Jesus would say, knowing all of that is not nearly as important as knowing me because he's the answer. And today, if you're not sure that you know him, if you're not sure that you have that place in the kingdom of God, that your name, Revelation 21, talks about a book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And the whole issue is, has your name been written down? But it comes back to because you have trusted Jesus Christ. There's just something exciting about heavenly things. Now, Jesus also has a lot to say about earthly stuff. And that idea of parents being the kind of parents they ought to be. And I, I, one of the reasons why we take Sunday night off on Mother's Day and on Father's Day, you understand God's plan is that some of the greatest blessings on earth come from family. That when a godly man and a godly woman give themselves to each other and God blesses them with children and they raise those children in a Christian home and those children become Christian and, and then they become adults and start their families and they honor their parents and maybe take care of their parents until their parents go to be with Jesus, that's some of the best blessing. ROIs, return on investment, uh, the very best investment you can make is in your family in your parents, in your children, in your siblings. There's just something about that. And so kind of our intention is we really want you to spend a little time making some phone calls, talking to folks you maybe haven't talked to in a while in your family or spending time with them. To make an investment in your family brings earthly blessings. But then Jesus is also talking about heavenly things. That in the end, if you have all of the blessings of this world, and don't have the next world, what does that profit a man? And there's just something significant. And as far as mothers, my, my dad's testimony is that back out here in Ewing on a Sunday night, for some reason, he and his mother had stayed home from church and the rest of them were there. And she was listening to the old time gospel hour on the radio and looked over at him and said, son, isn't it about time that you gave your heart to Jesus? And he says that was the, the peace that he needed and the Spirit of God began to work. And the next Sunday he was down in front of that chapel church and prayed and received Jesus Christ. I personally remember asking a question in the car and my dad was driving so my mother turned around and shared with me about knowing Jesus Christ. That was a few weeks later before I actually prayed and made a commitment to him but of all of the things that a mother or a father can do is that while you're here on earth, make sure that your children know the heavenly things. 
And whether you know how big heaven is or what the streets are made of or anything else about heaven or ask all those questions and wonder about what we're going to do and how it's going to be and what's it going to be like and can there be food without cholesterol and triglycerides. I, you know, there's, people ask really weird questions about heaven. For Jesus being the one person who ever was on this planet who knew about heaven, the most important message that he has was not about heaven was like, but about making sure you got there. And that's why he came to make sure of that. Well, Father, today we do ask you to bless women here today, others, mothers. We thank you for those who've gone on to be with Jesus. And for many of us, we are blessed with godly family and godly parents and godly individuals and especially women. But Lord, we pray today that you will bless families, that Lord, you will bless our nation, that there will be a a return to good families, godly families, and that Lord, because of the, the ultimate sense of heavenly things, help us to be mindful of the choices and decisions and investments of our life, our time, and our energy that we make here on earth. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com. Or give us a call at 618 618- That's 618-439-3513.